I think the piece that, that really stood out for folks was seeing someone from the community who wasn't necessarily involved in politics before, being able to step up and have their voice truly be heard and having a seat at the table that was given to them rather than having to pull up their own. Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. When Taylor Small was elected Vermont State Representative from Winooski last month, she made history. Small will be the first out-trans person elected to the Vermont State Legislature and just the fifth out-trans state legislator in the nation. Small, who is currently the director of the Health and Wellness Program at the Pride Center of Vermont, is part of a so-called rainbow wave of victories for LGBTQ candidates around the country. The number of out-LGBTQ state legislators increased from 161 this year to 175 who will be in office in 2021. In Vermont, Becca Ballant, the first openly LGBTQ state senator, is poised to become the president pro tem. Representative-elect Taylor Small, welcome to the Vermont Conversation. Thank you so much for having me, David. So on November 3rd, you made history, becoming the first out-trans person elected to the Vermont State Legislature. You also became the fifth out-trans state legislator in the nation. Talk about the significance of that to you. You know, when I was starting this run, it, it wasn't the identity piece that hit me first. It was more about thinking about community and the ways that I could represent Winooski and and all the contributions that I've made to my city as well as what it has done for me. But it was just about a a week into running when I realized the the historic nature of it all. I had heard about Christine Hallquist's run and was truly inspired by that. but it didn't necessarily influence my own run. So going into this and knowing that it would have an impact in the state of Vermont was immense. It was really amazing to see not only having a representative who shares these identities with those who are in my community, but also knowing that it does have that national impact. And I think what shocked me even more was hearing about the international impact after the election. What was, was that? Uh, it was um, it was actually shortly after after I had won because my announcement and being in a small city, it came out relatively fast. It was like seven forty p.m. when I heard that I had won my election, and so what I heard from a lot of folks, both in the state, nationally, internationally, was they were holding their breath around our national election and what was going to happen and looking at our leadership. And that this was a a bright light or a guiding light in the mix of of all of the uncertainty. And I think the piece that that really stood out for folks was seeing someone from the community who wasn't necessarily involved in politics before, being able to step up and have their voice truly be heard and having a seat at the table that was given to them rather than having to pull up their own. Mm. So I'm surprised that you say that Christine Hallquist's run was not, uh, you know, kind of an inspiration to you. That was, that was a really big deal when she ran um, uh, first in the country, I think, to run for governor, trans person. But that really, it didn't have a big effect on you. I was there. I supported her uh, campaign through and through, and was really excited to see that. 
but it was actually a call from Representative Deanna Gonzalez, who has served here in Winooski for the past six years and is retiring um, and taking care of family. It was a call from her saying, I see the work that you're doing in the community. I see your work at Pride Center pushing for health equity. And I think your voice is needed in the state house. Mm. And that was, that was what flipped the switch for me in thinking not only having an out queer woman of color reaching out and saying, I can see you in this role, but also knowing that this is someone who I've also looked up to and understanding the community connections and being able to come into this role. So well, talk, think, yeah, talk a little bit about the work that you did prior to your run and just a little of your story where you grew up and, and all that. Yeah. So I was actually born up in Maine and my family moved uh, 12 times before the age of five. And I used to say that as a fun fact of something that was unique about myself, but it was as I was growing up that I learned that the situation that I was in is that my parents were lower middle class and they were having difficulties finding stable employment and stable housing, which is why we moved so often and ultimately settled in Western Massachusetts, which is where I was raised for about 10 years of my life. So I went through uh, kindergarten through 10th grade and then I moved back up to Vermont with my mom because this is where my family is. My mom emigrated here when she was four years old and this is where we call home. And so I've been here now for the past 11 years, going to uh, Colchester High School, went to UVM, graduated. And then the work that I do now is actually through the Pride Center of Vermont as the director of the health and wellness program which means that I work directly with community and talking about health inequities and how they can access those programs that are needed, as well as working with the Department of Health and making sure that their services are inclusive of all Vermonters and making sure that we are giving the best uh, breadth and depth of services for us all. You mentioned that your mom emigrated. Where did she emigrate from? She emigrated from Canada. So it was not a long travel for her, but a necessary one because she was actually born with a birth defect where she had a hole in her heart. And at the time, Canadian healthcare was not what it is today. So she had to come here to be able to access those uh, necessary medical interventions. I wonder if you could talk a bit about some of the discrimination that you have faced um, both before you ran and some of the things, uh, experiences you had on the campaign trail? Yeah, I think uh, a majority of the discrimination that I faced was actually when I was first coming out as transgender, which happened after I had graduated. It was actually during my senior year of UVM and at graduation when I felt uh, safe enough to come out to those around me and saying that I'm a trans woman and really living my life authentically. And so it would be just walking downtown. If I was ever downtown by myself in Burlington, there were, there were people who would follow me, who would yell these obscenities at me. I remember one time I was on the phone with my mother and there was a, a man on a bicycle who followed me all the way home to tell me how disgusting I was and how I shouldn't be alive. And I just remember staying on the phone with my mom asking for her to not just don't hang up. And of course, she was very concerned about the situation. She could only hear one half of what was going on. 
But I think about these experiences and what had happened to myself and what has happened to other transgender people here in the state and knowing that this is not a unique circumstance, but I think there is an immense privilege in being connected to the Pride Center, which means being connected to community who is there to validate me and support me, and also being able to access medical care and medical transition to help in, in feminization and knowing that I don't face that level of discrimination now because of that privilege and being able to access that, that care. And so when it comes to going on the campaign trail, I actually did not face discrimination, um, especially in relation to my identity. And I think a big piece of that is knowing that I was very issues focused in the campaign. Yes, it was historic that my identity is going to show up in the state legislature, but that's not what I'm running on. I'm not running on my identity. I'm running on how I can make this change available for the people of Winooski. And that's what they saw time and time again was that she's going back to the issues Yes, we can talk about her identity, but that's not, that's not her focus. And I think that's what swept across the board. Honestly, I got more discrimination doing Drag Queen Story Hour than I did running a political campaign. So let's talk about Drag Queen Story Hour and Nikki Champagne and introduce Nikki Champagne to our listeners. Uh, so Nikki Champagne has been my drag persona for the past, I think we're going on seven years now. And it was actually, I started doing drag uh, through an Outright program. So Outright Vermont is an LGBTQ nonprofit that works with youth ages 22 and under and really creating safe and healthy environments for them to thrive in our state and knowing the immense difficulties that are present for those who hold those marginalized identities. And so they put on a fundraiser called Vermont Drag Idol and I don't think they knew that it would be such a staple in the drag community when they started it, but it's an amateur drag competition that allows youth and adults to be able to try out drag for the first time. But that's the piece is you have to be a beginner to be able to compete. And so back in 2014, I, I went up and I competed against 11 other competitors and I won and I haven't looked back since. And so, with drag, I have I've put on events where queer community can come together and find safer spaces here in Vermont to be able to dance and celebrate one's identities. And knowing that we really haven't had an LGBTQ bar or specific space available here in the state. Um, I mean, there was one little pop-up that happened in Winooski, but it was a very, it was a blink of an eye before it, it left. And so a lot of the time it means taking over a bar or taking over a space for the evening and making it that safer space for folks to come together. Now let's talk about Drag Queen Story Hour. What is it and what happened? Oh my goodness, it is so simple. It is two drag queens coming into their local libraries and reading stories for an hour and then doing a craft. It's like every other story hour that happens on, on the weekends. I mean, not so much during the COVID times, but it just was a little more fabulous in having characters come in and doing this. And one thing that I really loved is that we made it an intention behind Drag Queen Story Hour of going out to more rural libraries where folks wouldn't necessarily have open, unapologetic queer representation. 
And the other piece is that we did it based on community desires. So we would not go to a library that was not looking for us to come. It was always based on community members reaching out and specifically the librarians reaching out and having us come in and host this knowing that there was a lot of controversy because there is for some reason continued controversy around queer and trans identities and these very outdated notions of indoctrination of youth or these accusations of pedophilia that came time and time again. And every time we went to libraries, what we saw were a beautiful diversity of families that were coming and having a great time. And yet online is where we got a lot of that pushback and a lot of that hate around what we were doing. Hmm. But little did they know that all they were doing was giving us free promotion to be able to continue to do this and had more supporters show up each time. I think back to when we were in Montpelier and had 150 people show up for a story hour. Can you imagine? Is this story hour, who's in the audience? Is it kids? Is it adults? A mixture, it's families. Um, And it is really, we read books that focus on inclusivity and diversity and and learning across difference. Um, It's a really beautiful time where what we're doing is promoting folks to utilize their local libraries. And I think one, one piece that sticks out to me is librarians time and time again saying, we've never seen this many people in our library before or there are families that are coming to this that we have never seen come in. And these are LGBTQ families with queer parents or trans parents or queer and trans kids who are now seeing this library as a space where they can be themselves and find literature that reflects their identities or their family structures, which is even more exciting. Hmm. Now, was the protest enough to, did any of these get canceled, any of the story hours? Um, We had only one get canceled because nobody ever showed up in person to protest. And it was only up in the the Northeast Kingdom uh, where we were going to do a story hour. And because of uh, some white supremacist threats, they actually canceled the event um, just in in preparation. Um, I think there was a lot of worry around that one. Mm. Um, Will Nikki Champagne continue her drag queen life as you uh, serve in the legislature? Well, I know that she's planning a a New Year's Eve event already, but I think beyond that, uh, the focus will still be on Drag Queen Story Hour because our our chapter is very small. It's just two of us right now in Vermont. I'm still trying to convince our other queens to get up early on a Saturday morning to do Drag Queen Story Hour, but it's just not selling quite yet. All right. Well, uh, if you're just joining us, we're talking with Representative-elect Taylor Small. Uh, She is the first out trans person elected to the Vermont State Legislature. Um, Taylor, uh, in your work with um, the Pride Center, can you talk a little bit about the impact of the COVID pandemic on the LGBTQ community? Mm, Yeah. I think a, a big piece that comes up for me when thinking about the, the impact of COVID is around social isolation. And knowing that, I think about this statistic that came out from the Department of Health before COVID saying that one in five adults in Vermont 
are feeling isolated from those around them or do not feel socially connected to those around them, which we know is an increased risk for suicide. Mm -hmm. And so having that statistic before COVID mixed with what we are seeing now is a lot of folks being sheltered or not feeling like they're able to connect to community, which is increasing these these levels of depression and anxiety. Um, And it's so, it's difficult for a lot of folks to be able to thrive during this time, knowing that we've seen folks lose their jobs. We've seen folks lose their health insurance in turn when they're losing their jobs. And so in my work in pushing for health equity, our focus is really finding ways to help folks maintain in healthcare and make sure that they're taking care of their health, especially now when we're seeing this increased risk. What issues are going to be your priority that you want to focus on in the state legislature? Well, I have a, a long-term goal. That's, that's my big one, which is focusing on healthcare reform and really this piece of not having health insurance tied to employment. Because that's what we've seen for folks in the LGBTQ community, as well as my neighbors here in Winooski, who are losing their jobs, losing their health insurance, and having to decide where they're able to put their funds moving forward. Would that be taking care of their health? Would that be paying mortgage or paying for food to be on the table? And so I think we need to look, look deeper as to how we can really make sure that all folks in, the, in Vermont are insured. Right now, we have data from 2018 that shows that 20,000 Vermonters are uninsured. And I can only imagine that that has gone up since COVID. And so I know that that Medicare for all or a single payer healthcare system has been tried here in the state of Vermont and has not succeeded. But I still think we need to look at creative solutions around how we can make sure that everyone is connected to health insurance because healthcare should not be a privilege that some are able to access, but truly a right that everyone has. Where do you see the opportunity given the experience under the Shumlin administration um, you know, which pushed it as far as any state has. Um, what's the next stage, the next chapter of that fight? What form does it take? Mm, that is such a great question. And of course, there's going to be a lot of work going in with my colleagues on this. But coming into this role, there are two uh, pathways that I see that we could go down. One is really looking at a public option that would be competitive to the private insurances that are available to help move us closer to the direction of a single payer system. The other is looking at the region in the Northeast and collaborating with states around us to be able to reduce the tax burden on Vermonters and really thinking about how we could spread that out essentially starting Medicare for all just in the Northeast and hoping that the nation follows suit. Because I do think ultimately where we need to be going on a, on a US level is Medicare for all, because that, I think that's our solution and making sure that folks are able to maintain healthcare. But I know that in my role now, I'm Vermont focused, but definitely have the long-term goals in mind. Hmm. What other issues are top of mind for you? Another issue that comes up for me is thinking about the charter change that we passed in our most recent election. And so there were three pieces to it, but one piece that really stands out to me is around all resident voting in the city of Winooski, 
which would allow all documented residents here in our city to be able to vote on municipal matters and who is representative in city council, mayor, and how tax funds are used here in our city. And the reason that I think that is so important is because we have such a diverse uh, selection of folks here in the city and knowing that we are one of the most diverse cities in Northern New England. But again, I reflect back on my mother who to this day still holds a green card and has not been able to gain citizenship because of the significant hurdles that are in place for folks to be able to do that. And so it just feels amazing to think that one day my mom could be able to vote in the city in which I am uh, elected for. So you used the phrase all documented folks to vote. What do you mean? So will that include undocumented people? Nope. It will, it will only include folks who are, uh, I, I really don't like to use this language, but some folks would say legal residents of the city. And so it would be folks who are looking to attain citizenship or hold a green card like my mother does. Okay. Um, do you have any idea of what kind of numbers we're talking about? What would that mean in Winooski? I don't have the numbers right offhand, but I think about how we have a very large new American and refugee population. And so a majority of our new Americans are, are looking to accomplish citizenship, but knowing that there's a significant financial burden in there, as well as testing that is involved in the primary language of English, um, which really stand out to me as two ways that folks aren't necessarily able to participate. And I think where the, the struggle will be in the legislature, since even though it passed here in Winooski, it still has to pa pass through the House and Senate, um, is really working on our senators and making sure that that moves forward. Because we saw this similar bill pass in Montpelier um, and it made it through the House, but then was stalled up in the Senate. So I'm hoping that both will be able to pass in this uh, upcoming year. Hmm. Um, I wanna go back to the campaign since it's very fresh on our minds and there it was historic. Um, you, Karis, you reached out to, uh, I have read, to Danica Rome, who's a state senator in, an, an out-trans state senator in Virginia. Um, what advice did she give you? Oh, it was really amazing. It was just about one week into my campaign when Danica Roem uh, called me. And I think it, what I held and what I talked about earlier in this interview is that piece of understanding that our identity is not separated from ourselves, that identity is definitely involved in politics, but what we need to do, especially as marginalized folks, is put the emphasis on the issues. Yes, people are gonna talk about identity, but something that she celebrated and then reiterated was that piece of really making sure that when you are moving into this role, you are doing this to the service of your constituents and you need to know what is on the top of their minds. And they may want to talk about your identity, but that is not going to change what happens in the state house. What's going to change is how you are going to uh, focus on the issues and your solutions to those issues. Hmm. So as you approach your first term in the state house, um, if you were to fast forward a year or perhaps two, since it's a biennium, and you were looking back, 
what will be the thing that will signal to you that you've had the impact that you hope to have? Mm. That is such a good question. And I think what would signal to me is really the, the community response and making sure that I am sticking and staying true to my own values, as well as the values that I've conveyed in the campaign. And so I don't think it would focus on, on a specific bill passing, but more making sure that we're looking at progress and how I can make a difference for those here in Winooski. And though I would love to see our charter change passed, or I would love to see healthcare reform, I don't think that's gonna happen in two years. Charter change maybe, but I think it is really reflecting on how I am serving the people of Winooski and what their opinion is on the matter that will really, uh, really show me how I'm doing. And finally, uh, while I know you do want to focus on the issues and you don't want identity and you, you've, you didn't run on identity, but you are part of a very small club, as we mentioned at the top, just five out state legislators, trans legislators around the country. What do you want LGBTQ people and particularly youth to see when they see you? I want them to see their own future. And knowing that, I think in my case, I was, again, very privileged to have a call from a community member and a leader, Representative Deanna Gonzalez, and saying that I want you to step into this role. And I want this, I want this to be the call for LGBTQ youth and LGBTQ people to know that their voices have power and that their voices and their abilities are needed in our local state and federal government because that is how the change is going to happen. I've always seen myself as someone who would be boots on the ground or, or grassroots efforts in making that change. But I think it is so amazing to see that these seats are becoming available and that we can continue to do this. So my goal is now that the door is open, I'm going to hold it open for those who are yet to come. Okay. Well, Representative-elect Taylor Small, I want to thank you for joining us on the Vermont Conversation this week. Thank you so much for having me. That does it for this week's Vermont Conversation. You can hear this and all shows at vtdigger.org slash vermontconversation. I'm David Goodman. Thanks so much for listening.